Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. At the bottom of a trough, she found a child's shirt half burned, the remaining portion caked with dried blood. After several days spent in taking similar testimony, the prosecution announced its case complete, and court was open to hear what defense Gilles de Laval, Sire de Retz, and Marshal of France had to offer to the dastardly crimes charged against him. The marshal entered the courtroom dressed in doublé and hose of white satin, thickly sewn with seed pearls. About his neck hung several golden collars, emblems of his orders of knighthood. On his breast, a half-score military decorations blazed, for the sire de Retz had been a mighty warrior of France before he took up his abode in the country and became the object of terrible suspicions. On a dozen hotly contested fields he had led the French forces to victory, and had engaged in the siege of Orleans with Jeanne d'Arc. Entering the castle's moat with her, and being severely wounded by an English pikeman, upon his head was a cap of ermine, the royal fur which none but the king and a few of his most valuable nobles were privileged to wear. No one at first glance would have thought the sire de Retz capable of such horrid crimes as those of which he stood accused. His face was somewhat pale and wore, in repose, an expression of gentle melancholy. But his beard was his outstanding characteristic. In sharp contrast to his hair and mustache, which were light, almost blonde, it was jet black. Yet in certain lights it assumed a blue hue. It was this peculiarity which earned for the sire de Retz the surname of Bluebeard, a name that has attached to him in popular romance since the Middle Ages, though his story has undergone a strange change, remaining in general memory only as the ghastly fairy tale which frightens children today. Mild and gentle as de Retz's face appeared at first glance, however, a closer inspection revealed an innate cruelty. In his eyes there always smoldered a lurking, sinister expression, which now and again glowed like charcoal embers when blown upon by the fire bellows. At such times he ground his teeth, like a wild beast about to leap upon its prey, and his lips became so contracted they showed pale and bloodless against his beard. Then it was his beard appeared to bristle and show its blue shade more than ever, and his face paled to a corpse gray. After a few moments his features became serene again. A sweet smile reposed on the lips which had a moment before been set in a diabolical snarl, and his expression relapsed into a vague and tender melancholy. Messieurs, said the marshal, lifting his furred cap and saluting his judges with formal politeness. Pray expedite my matter as quickly as possible. I would that my unfortunate case be soon disposed of, for I am peculiarly anxious to consecrate myself to God's service. He has pardoned my sins, and I would even enter a monastery, 
and become a monk. If you're not, I shall richly endow several of the churches of Nantes, and shall distribute the greater portion of my goods among the poor, the better to secure the salvation of my soul. Had this been Spain, where religious fervor swayed even the actions of courts of justice, the sire de Retz's plea might easily have operated to discontinue the prosecution. But the Frenchman is as practical in things spiritual as in things temporal. Monseigneur, gravely replied Pierre de l'Hospital, it is ever well to think of the salvation of one's soul, but you will please remember that we are now concerned with the salvation of your body. A look of impatience flitted across the face of Gilles de Retz. I have confessed to the Father Superior of the Carmelites, he answered. Through his absolution I have been able to communicate. I am therefore guiltless and purified. Pierre de l'Hospital drummed noiselessly on the polished table before him with his fingertips. True servant of the church though he was, this talk of confession and purification pleased him not at all. Today he was sitting in the secular capacity of judge. The body of a man accused of killing the bodies of helpless children was on trial before him. Let the superior of the Carmelites supervise the welfare of the prisoner's soul. He, Pierre L'Hospital, would perform the earthly office. Men's justice is not in common with that of God, he said finally. Nor though you were forty times confessed and shriven, can I tell you what your sentence will be until I have heard the evidence in your case. Be ready then to make your defense, and listen carefully to the charges brought against you. He nodded to the court's clerk, who rose and unrolled a parchment. Hear ye, Gilles de Laval, sire de Retz, consulaire to majesty, the king and marshal of France, read the priest, forasmuch as it has come to our ears that you have seized, and caused to be seized, the bodies of several little children of the diocese of Nantes, not only ten or twenty, but thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, one hundred, two hundred, and more, and have murdered them with inhuman tortures, afterwards burning their bodies to ashes. We do charge and adjure your true answer to make to these charges, and say whether ye be guilty or not guilty of these abominable doings. The grave eyes of Pierre de l'Hospital never left the prisoner's face while the indictment was being read. What justification can you make? he asked. Take an oath in the Holy Gospels to declare the truth. Not I, exclaimed the marshal haughtily. The witnesses are bound to declare their testimony on oath, but I, the accused, need take no oath. I will make no answer. Pierre de l'Hospital rose from his chair, gathering his scarlet robes of office about him. He was a small man, wiry and quick as a terrier, and with something of the terrier's nervous activity in his movements. His great head, with its high, white brow, seemed to weigh down his diminutive body. His eyes, large and black, have been likened to the pools of new ink. And truly, like the ink, they recorded everything. These eyes he fixed on de Retz in an unwinking stare. "'Do you refuse to plead?' he asked in a voice of ominous calm. "'I do!' thundered the marshal, the death-like pallor which told of his ungovernable temper beginning to spread over his face. I am Marshal of France. I am... Pierre de l'Hospital stretched out a scarlet-clad arm and pointed to a baize curtain hanging near the judge's bench. The portiere swung back, revealing an alcove, recessed from the main chamber. In it was a long, low bench of dark wood, worn smooth and polished by much use. 
At either end were curious rope and ring attachments, and above it was a windlass over which the ropes wound. Standing beside the instrument were two men in close-fitting tights of brown stuff, uncouth headgear, masking their faces. Through the eye holes in their masks they watched Pierre de l'Hospital expectantly. Gilles de Retz glanced once through the uncurtained doorway and cast a look of murderous hate at his judge. But a pallor more sallow than that of rage overspread his face, for the low wooden bench in the alcove was the rack, and the masked men beside it were the official torturers of the court. Gilles de Retz, who delighted in the sight of suffering children and joyed in the sound of their death moans, had no stomach for the rack. "'I will answer,' he said, attempting to compose his features. "'Torture me not, good Monsieur de l'Hospital, I implore you. As to the charges, I say nothing. They are simply false and calumnious.' "'Indeed,' answered his judge. And am I to believe that all the people who complain of having lost their children lied under oath? Undoubtedly, replied the marshal, his equanimity restored now that the curtain had been again drawn before the rack. What am I to know of their brats? Am I their keeper? Gain made the same answer, remarked Pierre de l'Hospital. However, as you solemnly deny these charges, we must question Henriet and Pontou. Henriet? Pontou, cried the marshal, trembling. Surely they accuse me of nothing. Not as yet. They have not been questioned, but they are about to be brought into court, and I do not think they will lie in the face of justice. I demand that my servants be brought not forward as witnesses against their master, stormed the marshal, his brow wrinkling and his beard bristling blue upon his chin. A master is above the gossiping tales of his servants. "'Do you think, monsieur, your servants will accuse you?' "'I demand that I, a marshal of France, a baron of the duchy, "'should be sheltered from the slanders of small folk "'whom I disown as my servants if they are untrue to me.' "'Justice knows no small folk and no great. "'We shall see what Henriet and Pontou have to say.' "'Pierre de l'Hopital nodded meaningly toward the curtain concealing the rack. "'There are means of gleaning this truth.' At a sign from the judge, guards led the sire de Retz back to his prison. In the corridor outside the courtroom, the marshal passed Henriet and Pontou, escorted by Agent d'Armes. Henriet averted his eyes, but Pontou burst into tears at the sight of his master. De Retz held out his hand, which Pontou kissed affectionately. "'Remember I'll have done for you, my children,' said the marshal, "'and be good and faithful servants.' Again Pontou covered his hands with kisses, but Henriet shank from him with a shudder. In silence, the two culprits were conducted to the bar of the court. Pierre de l'Hospital looked sharply from one to the other, then signed to the clerk to read the indictment which charged them as accomplices of the sire de Retz. Never for an instant did the eyes of the president of the court leave the face of Henriet, while the clerk droned out the charge. Henriet was a sharp contrast to Pontou. Pontou's bullet head, short, thick neck, and undershot jaw, betokened a nature innately cruel and bestial. Nothing but torture, carried past the limit of human endurance, would wring the truth from him. Henriet, on the other hand, was as fragile and as prettily made as a girl, slender and tall, with tapering white fingers and blonde hair falling in loose curls about his ears. He looked anything but the criminal he was accused of being. His blue eyes, though set too close together, 
were mild and timid in expression, and the slope of his beardless chin bespoke a nature rather weak than wicked. "'What say ye, wretched men, guilty or not guilty?' asked Pierre de l'Hospital, still gazing fixedly at Henriet. "'Alas, monsieur!' exclaimed Henriet. "'I am even as you say. I shall tell all, for I have another master besides my poor master of Retz, and I shall soon be with the Heavenly One.' He would have continued had not a shout from Pontou interrupted him. "'Messieurs les juges!' he cried. "'My poor friend is tossing the head. He is mad. All he says is but the raving of a lunatic.' "'Ah, Pontou, out of thine own mouth hast thou convicted thyself,' returned Pierre de l'Hospital. "'For hadst thou not been concerned in deviltry, thou wouldst not have feared thy friend's ravings.' Proceed, he nodded to Henriet, and see to it that thou speakest but the truth. But Henriet seemed to have lost the power of speech. Only incoherent murmurings came from his nervously working lips. At last he managed to gasp. Monsieur le juge, I cannot speak to the abominable words I have to utter while that is in my sight. He pointed a trembling finger to the great crucifix suspended above the judge's bench. Led by Pierre de l'Hospital, the court rose and stood with bared heads, while amid a death-like silence the image of the Lord was veiled in black bunting. Condensed, Henriet's testimony was as follows. On graduating from the University of Angus, he had taken the situation of reader in the household of Sire de Retz. From the first, the marshal had taken a liking to him, and soon made him chamberlain and confidant. When he had been in the household about six months, the marshal decided to deed the castle of Chantons to the Duke of Brittany. The night preceding the morning, the Duke took possession. The marshal summoned Henriet Pontou and one petit Robin to his bedchamber. When all were assembled, de Retz compelled Henriet to kneel on the bare floor and take a solemn and horrible oath never to reveal what was about to be told him. The oath taken, the sire de Retz told them he was expecting the duke's officers to take over the chateau the following day, and before that happened, there were certain matters. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.